All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 5, and uh, we might finish the book of 1 John tonight. Don't count on it. Amen. Wasn't that a beautiful song? And beautifully done. I want you to do that again on the Lord's Supper next uh, week, so be prepared. And if you need a ride, let us know. We'll come get you. Amen. And we're going to have Brother uh, Travis sing again, Mary, Did You Know? He picked up the wrong words and uh, did a great job. That had happened to me. I'd have just panicked right in the middle of it and just said, let's pray. <laughs> or let's shout or something. Amen. But uh, he just kept on trucking. Amen. But he won't sing it again. So we'll have two specials next uh, uh, Tuesday, Brother Randy. Maybe we can have a few more during the Lord's Supper. We're not going to be long. Uh, we're going to start at 5, and you'll be home by 6, probably, if you live across the street. If you live down in your sack, it'll be about 6.15. And uh, if you live in Eton, I don't know when you'll get home. But anyway, thank God. Thank God for people coming from all over the place to our church. And some of you just come a few blocks, but a lot of you travel a lot of miles. I want to give you five reasons why Jesus came. And it's found in the book of First John. It's amazing to me how God is always on time with the message that he wants to preach. Uh, and we don't have to plan, we just need to preach, and God has the plan. So 1 John chapter 5, we're going to read um, verse 19, 20, and 21, but I'm just going to emphasize one, two, three, four words in those verses. So let's stay in all the Word of God. The Bible says in verse 19, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Can somebody say amen to that? Just watch the news, and you'll find out how wicked it is. Amen. And then look at this, it says, and we know, here it is, uh, no, excuse me, verse 19, we know that we are in the, we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness, but here's the text, and we know that the Son of God is come. Amen. We know that the Son of God is come, and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for good prayer time. Lord, our hearts burden for uh, some folks, Lord, that's going through a difficult time. I think of this little lady that's having all these seizures. And, Lord, people have been in comas for months. And, God, people are suffering with uh, pain. Uh, and, Lord, there's a lot of uh, flu and a lot of problems going on where the hospitals are full. But God, we're able to be here, and we rejoice in that fact. We pray for those that are grieving this time of the year. Lord, we know it can be very traumatic and very depressing if uh, they have no hope. And, Lord, I pray that their worship will bring them out of depression. And so, Lord, we thank you, dear God, for uh, the victory that was won in the Incarnation but the victory that was won at Calvary when you came to us when we couldn't come to you. So, Lord, help us to rightly divide the word and help us to uh, answer the question. And let the word of God answer the question, why Jesus came. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to put up a beautiful picture, and I appreciate uh, Brother uh, Joel getting that up there. It didn't come in the email correctly, and we just got it. But uh, there's a picture of Mary and Joseph. Uh, she's great with child, headed towards Bethlehem because of taxes. It was predicted 913 years before the fact. 
and really they were headed to the cross. And so if you'll meditate a little bit on that picture, matter of fact, I don't think I'll preach. We'll just stare at that picture and hum the rest of the night. Amen? No, not really. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it's beautiful, you know, it's beautiful to think about the reason that he came. And I know Jesus came, you know, five times in this book, in this epistle. Uh, John, the apostle, emphasizes forcefully and with clear language the fact of the person, uh, of the purpose of our Lord's incarnation. Uh, sometimes the question is asked, how do you know that Jesus came? And there's two main lines of evidence uh, for this fact. And number one, it's the prophetic anticipation. Over and over again in the Old Testament, uh, the script, we find the scripture predicting the first advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. As sure as he predicted the second, he predicted the first, and the first came true. And the fact and the purpose of his coming are presented to us in pictures in the Old Testament and types and promises. Um, let me just give you a few verses in the introduction and we'll just get to five uh, real simple uh, points about why Jesus came. But the reason I know that he came is because of prophecy. And the first prophecy and the first promise of Jesus coming is found in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15, look at Genesis 3, verse 15, if you would please. I mean, the Bible is just getting started here. The, the, the story of Adam and Eve and then the temptation, the sin, and then right when sin comes in and Satan thinks he's defeated man, here's the promise, here's the promise of the virgin birth of the Son of God. And the reason he was born, he was born to die and he died that we might live. Look at Genesis 3.15, if you want to circle, this is the first mention of the seed of woman or the virgin birth. It says, and I will put enmity between thee, talking to the devil, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so Jesus was not defeated at Calvary. Yes, he died, but three days later, he arose from the dead. Look at Genesis 3, verse 21. Genesis 3, 21. It says, Unto Adam also, unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. There's the picture of atonement. That's the picture of covering the sinner. And folks, that's the first picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the first picture of the reason Jesus came, was to cover or atone for our sins. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. You said this is going to be a long message if you're just going to go through the whole Bible. I promise you I won't. Just, I'm going to give you about four. It says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And again, uh, bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought uh, of the fruit of the ground and offered it unto the Lord. He brought what he worked for. He, bought, he brought works. Uh, it's a great picture of religion that does not save. And look at this, but Abel and Abel, verse 4. He also brought the firstling of the flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord, respect, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Look at verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. 
And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And he did more than that, he killed his brother. And so, folks, we see when sin enters into this world, uh, the Lord says, hey, to Satan, uh, we're going to bruise your head. It's going to be a mortal wound, and it's going to be the seed of the woman, not the woman and man. And then we see the picture of man needing a Savior. And the only offering that will be accepted or respected by the Lord or God was the, the uh, blood offering, the offering of an animal uh, that uh, forecasted the Lamb of God one day at Calvary, not the fruits of man's works. I'm going to tell you something. If you know somebody religious and lost, you ought to read them this story of Cain and Abel. And Abel was accepted because of the blood. Abel uh, was, had, his offering was respected because it was what God made and what God ordained. And so God ordained that the Lord would come to us when we couldn't come to him. Let's go on and look at Isaiah real quick. Just a few more uh, prophecies. I love prophecy, don't you? 1,500 years, 44 different books, not one contradiction. But I want to tell you something. The prophecy coming true to the minute detail uh, should bless your soul and should encourage your heart that you hold in your hand the perfect word of God and that there is a God that came to this earth named Jesus Christ to die for your sin. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Now remember, it's written 742 B.C. That's a long time before Jesus was even born. It says in verse 14, Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Now that's the strangest thing some prophet could say in the middle of a prophecy. But it's, 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 it's the constrained thing that he said. The Holy Ghost told him to say something that probably he didn't even understand. You ever said something you didn't understand, much less anybody else? I think I was that way Sunday night. It says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. And that means God with us. 743 years before the fact. If you don't believe Jesus came, then I'm going to tell you something. They believed it before he came. We ought to believe him after he came. Go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, please. Isaiah 53. Aren't you glad you got a Savior? In times like these, we need a Savior. My wife and I will be journeying to Cummings tomorrow to, to lay rest uh, her uh, cousin, uh, Pappy's best friend. And um, he died after a long four years battle with cancer. And it's going to be a sad funeral, but we know that he was saved. And so there's hope and there's peace in the midst of the storm. But look at Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. The Bible says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastised and our peace are upon him. And with his stripes we're healed. And we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us are sinners. But look at this. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, 712 years before the fact, Isaiah is saying, hey, there's going to be someone that's coming as a sheep to the slaughter. He'll say not a word. He's stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He's wounded for our transgressions. So the greatest presentation of the gospel 
in the Old Testament is Isaiah 53. I know Jesus came because of prophecy. So let's go back to our, our, our study of 1 John. And I want you to see uh, not only is there historical uh, authenticity of the Gospels, the, the um, uh, King Herod, and, and there's even secular historians that line up with the things that's happened in the Gospels. There's the harmony of the Gospel. Uh, there's um, uh, prophecy. Uh, there's records of, of the Savior's birth um, written through all the epistles. Wonderful. In 1 John 5, 20, he ends this great chapter on faith that overcomes the world and sin and Satan with this fact. And we know that the Son of God is come. That's a great profound summation of the whole book of sweet fellowship of 1 John. We know that the Son of God is come and has given to us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Then He said, keep yourself a Bible. What a great summation. And so I want to go back through the whole book of 1 John and give you about four things, maybe five, four verses that explicitly say why Tell us, tells us why Jesus came. And folks, you need to be sure about His coming. And you need to be sure that you believe that He is the Son of God. Number one, He came to be our sin barrier. Turn to 1 John 3, 5. We're going to stay in the book of 1 John now. 1 John 3, 5. It says, and we know that He was manifested. Did you hear that? He was manifested. Um, and the reason He was manifested or the reason He came to this earth to be seen and touched, as 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says. It says, we know that he was manifested. Here it is, real simple, but wonderful a blessing to take away our sin. And it says, and in him is no sin. So he's the perfect Lamb of God. John's saying it, the beloved, the one that went all the way to the cross, is saying he came to be manifested that infers, uh, that infers um, pre-existence. He's eternal God. He just didn't become God when he showed up at the manger. He's God showing up for you. He's God reaching out to you. His birth in Bethlehem was not his origin. John said it another way. Look at his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Y'all know these verses, but we need to read them before this Christmas season is over, please. John 1, 1 through 3, some powerful verses on the Incarnation. And the deity of Christ, that he's always God. He just manifested himself to be your sin bearer, to bear your sins, to bear your sin debt that you couldn't pay. John 1, the Gospel of John now, not 1 John. Gospel, John 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Listen to this now. And the Word was what? Was God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Thank God. Look at verse 3. The Bible says this. All things are made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was saying, hey, listen, when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. And he's the creator. And he might have become a helpless babe in a feed trough, but I want to tell you something. He was still God. He was God in the womb. He's God all the time. He's God that's enough. 
He manifested himself to take away our sins, which means he became sin bar- our sin barrier. Why was it necessary for Jesus to come and die on the cross for our sins and for all the sins of man? It was the only perfect sacrifice that was acceptable. He that knew no sin became sin for you, that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, most powerful verse, I believe, in 2 Corinthians 5.21. So let me ask you a question. Has he taken your sins away? The provision is made on your behalf. Have you accepted that? And folks, he is the Lamb of God, the only Lamb of God, and he came to us when we couldn't come to him. So number one, he came to be our sin bearer. Number two, he came to destroy the works of the devil. I like to read this verse. Maybe that's why the devil's giving me such a hard time before I preach. Uh, Look at 1 John 3, 8. It says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. That's habitual. If you're saved, sin's an exception, not a profession. You don't live in sin. You can't live in sin. Number one, you don't want to. Number two is he'll make you very uncomfortable. Amen? For whom the Lord loveth, he scourge and chasteneth every son whom he receiveth. Uh, I believe we ought to fear the consequences of sin. Last week we preached on there is a sin unto death. Some people go home early. But look at this. It says in 1 John 3, 8, wonderful verse, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For, for this purpose, isn't this great? For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. You want to know why Jesus came? John's saying it. For this purpose, for this purpose, uh, was the Son of God manifested. Now, what, what was the purpose? Here it is, number two. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. I want to tell you something, friend. We're on the winning side. That ought to make a Methodist shout. It ought to make a, a Baptist not pout. Amen. And we ought to at least uh, grin in our soul and thankful to God and have joy unspeakable and peace that passes understanding, knowing that we are more than conquerors through Christ and the devil has been destroyed. You say, well, if he's been destroyed, why is he still working? He's going to work till Jesus comes, but I'll tell you this. Satan's the originator of sin uh, and uh, sorrow, and folks, he's a very present in this world. He's a prince in power of the, of the air, and by Jesus' incarnation, he came to destroy. I mean, he came to destroy, uh, render uh, uh, not effective and render uh, in, enabled uh, Satan. And thank God for the victory that was won not only at Calvary, but the victory that was won at the Incarnation. They tried to kill him. Herod tried to find him, and the wise men wouldn't go turn him in as we preached on Sunday night. And folks, I want you to see it real clearly, is that by Jesus' Incarnation, he came to destroy Satan and to restore us to that which was lost. Paradise was lost in the Garden of Eden. Praise God, one day we'll live in paradise in the millennial reign. And uh, thank God for that. But I want you to look at some verses uh, that backs this up. And uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14, that the devil's defeated. Now, he's still a roaring lion, but he's defeated. 
And we don't need to be conned that he's not defeated and give in to his whims and his roars and his threats and his accusations and try to defeat us and depress us and confuse us and even fill us with pride that we think we're self-sufficient. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a con artist. He's already defeated, but he's acting like he's not. And most people are accepting him as their victor. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14, the Bible says this, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there been the host of the doctrine of Balaam, and taught Balak to uh, cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit fornication. And so we see that, folks, uh, the devil, excuse me, I'm in Revelation. Let's go back to Hebrews, amen, 2.14. I told you it's been a long life. But it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and of blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through his death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. The Bible says he's destroyed. The Bible says he's defeated. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. Now turn to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Revelation 20 verse 10. The Bible says in Revelation 20 10, And the devil, and the devil that deceived them has, was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's the doom of the devil. There's the end of the story. There's the last quarter of the devil's defeat. He's cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. And so, folks, listen. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Satan is defeated once and for all, as Hebrews 2.14 says. And many places in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10, it says when Jesus sat down, the devil was defeated. Jesus came to give us eternal life. But he also came came to give us abundant life. I love the verse in John 10, 10 because it tells us how defeated Satan ought to be in our personal lives. We shouldn't listen to him. We shouldn't cow down to him. We surely shouldn't live like he dictates. And he, in John 10, 10, the Bible says this, and this is John writing in the gospel, not the first John, second John, third John. He's writing earlier, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. That's the devil. I have come that you might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Don't say that you can't overcome sin. Say you won't overcome sin. Don't say you can't overcome depression. Say you won't overcome depression. Folks, you have the victor. You have the author and finisher of all life. You have eternal life, but don't wait to heaven to enjoy it. Today is the day that we ought to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice and claim the abundant life. Uh, you're living beneath the God-given privilege if you don't believe the devil's destroyed. Now, he's a roaring lion. He has, many, he has many demons, and the flesh is weak, and the world is awful. But I want to tell you something, friend. We have Jesus because he came to us for eternal and abundant life. Satan is doing his utmost to keep men and women in the dark concerning his person. I guarantee you all the gates of hell don't want me to preach this message tonight. I'm having a hard time trying to get it across. And it's not your fault, and it's not my fault, I don't think. I think it's a spiritual warfare. And any of you have ever preached, you'll realize it one day 
how hard it is. Some of you can't even get up here and give a word of testimony without falling apart. And preaching's tough, especially when you reveal Satan. And folks, he wants to keep you in the dark. He attacks and accuses. And he defeats if you let him. But you don't have to let him. Greater is he that is in you, 1 John 4, 4, than he that is in the world. I have to claim that every day. And so number two, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Number one, he came to bear our sins and be our sin bearer. He's the only one that could go to the cross. He's the only perfect person that's ever walked this earth. Number two, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And why did Jesus come? Well, look at 1 John 4, 9. 1 John 4, 9. The Bible says he came to give us eternal life. And this ought to thrill your soul. I know it does. That's why you're here. That's why you're trying to witness. That's why you're trying to be a good Christian. First John chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible says this. And this, and this, in this was manifested the love of God towards us. Because the Son sent his only begotten Son into the world. And we might live through him. Why did Jesus come? Well, the third time John uses these, this phrase, he was manifested. And it was manifested the love of God towards us because God sent his only begotten son, only begotten son into the world, folks, that we might live. That we might live through him. That's why I feel so sorry for people that are not saved. I feel so sorry for people that's walking trying to get all the gusto they can, and the dregs of the cup are choking them. I feel so sorry for people that are blinded and dead in their sins and trespasses, and they're trying to make more money to be happy. They're trying to get things this Christmas to be happy. They're trying to look to the world and politics and sports and money and everything else to get life. Well, folks, they'll never have life until they receive Jesus Christ. He came to give us eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed him should not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal life is man's greatest need and it's God's greatest gift. How do we acquire eternal life? Well, look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. It says, and this is the record that God has given us. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the record that God has given us, eternal life. Listen to this now. And this life is in his son, period. There is no other way. There is, you just can't be religious and get there. You can't be good and get there. You can't just worship enthusiastically whoever you want to worship. There's only one person that was able to take the title deed of this earth, and his name is the Lamb of God, and he's the only one that could shed his blood because it was perfect blood. It was a virgin that gave birth, not some imperfect uh, father. It was God the Father, God the Spirit. But look at verse 12, and it says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There it is. You're either a saint or you ain't. You're either in or you're out. You're either lost or you're saved. And some people say, well, I'm working on it. No, you can't work on it. You can work on it until Jesus comes, and you'll still not work enough. 
Well, I'm trying to let my good outweigh my bad. That will not make it. Folks, there is not a ladder to heaven. There's a cross to heaven. And folks, the reason there's a cross to heaven is because he came to us. Why did Jesus come? He came that we might have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Number four, he came to be our propitiation for our sins. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. It's amazing how full 1 John is of the incarnation. It's amazing. And I didn't plan it this way, but God did. Herein, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. Now listen real closely. Look at it. You ought to underline it with red if you've got a red pen. And sit His Son and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Why did Jesus come? He sent His Son to be our propitiation. Now what in the world's propitiation? Took me four years to learn how to pronounce it. It means to atone. It means to please. It means to satisfy the justice and the holiness and righteousness of God. Folks, sin must be punished. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody had to die or God's a liar. The wage of sin is death, and it still is. And death is passed among all men because of the first Adam. But life can be passed to all men through the second Adam, and that's Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, if I can find it tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to look at um, verse 24. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who? I'll wait on you. Love to hear those pages turning. Amen. Better than a phone clicking. It says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Folks, sin must be punished. And he bore your sin debt, he paid your sin debt, he satisfied or he propitiated the justice of God. He took your debt. He took your hell. He took your sin debt that you could never pay. And he gave you heaven. And so, folks, he took your sin and you took his righteousness. What an exchange. What a blessing. What a, I almost said deal. deal. What a gift that Calvary is. But what a gift the incarnation is. Why did Jesus come to satisfy the justice of God and bear your sin? Last but not least, we're about to quit early tonight. He can't, and, and they're partying back there, so they'll probably not want to quit early, so y'all just be patient. He came to be the Savior of the world. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. If I wasn't in chapter 5, this would have been my text. It says, and we have seen and do testify that the Father, what? Say it, class. Sent. The Father did what? Sent the Son to be 
the Savior of the world. 1 John 4, 14 is so powerful. We've seen and we do testify that the Father sent the Son. He says, I was there. I saw him work miracles. John testifying now. And he said, I've seen it. And I testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Why did Jesus come? To save your soul. Salvation is available and provided to all those that believe. He is able to save all those who come to him. He will in no wise cast them out because he paid it all. He came to this earth to rescue you and redeem you and set you free. And folks, he's not going to make you uh, agonize or pray through. He just wants you to turn your life over to him. And that means repentance. So salvation takes um, belief. The Bible says it in uh, Romans 16, 41, no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But Luke 13, 3 says you must repent. Now repent means you turn to God and you have a new mindset towards God. You have a change of mind. No longer is the world your God, no longer is yourself your God. You turn to Him and He saves you. So let's review real quick. There's five things, reasons He came, according to 1 John. He came to be your sin barrier, John chapter 3, verse 5. He came to be uh, uh, destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. He came to give eternal life, 1 John 4, 9. And he came to be our propitiation for our sins, satisfy God's justice and righteousness and holiness, 1 John 4, 10. And he came to be the Savior of the whole world. If we'll believe if we believe in him. Not that he was a created being, Jehovah Witnesses. Not that he was just some good prophet, Muhammad or Allah. Not that he was just some good person. Folks, he is the Son of God. And that's what the last verse says. This is the true God and eternal life. The true God and eternal life. Let me give you one thing in closing. Okay, one more thing. The challenge of Christmas. The challenge of Christmas. I showed you why he came and why we have Christmas. And don't take Christmas away from me because I'm going to tell you something. It's a beautiful, beautiful time. It's not just happy holidays. It should be happy holy days to you. And it ought to be the greatest uh, season to witness and tell people about the true gift of God the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to see why you're here. I want you to see how you can convince people that Jesus is the Son of God. Very simple. 1 John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect. That means obvious, manifested, real to somebody. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. We are to manifest, bring to people the reality that God is real. I mean, friend, listen. 
most people you work with are not reading and studying prophecy. They're not reading 1 John and all these verses. They're reading you. They're reading you. And I believe that the greatest Christmas lights is the light that's set up on the hilltop that cannot be hid. I believe the greatest appetizer for Jesus is the salt that has not lost its savor, that is true, that is real, that is vibrant, that is brilliant, that is a light that cannot be hid under, that's not under a bushel, that's not hid, but it's on a hilltop. I mean, you have an obvious, wonderful testimony of why Jesus came. Your life brings Jesus to others by yielding and, if you'll put, take verse 17 in context, by loving. Your, your life is so full of love, so full of peace, so full of purpose, and so full of power that you're proof positive evidence that he came and that he's coming again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message. Use it for your glory. And use our lives for your glory. God, I know that I've been preaching a long time. Been trying to pastor for many years. And Lord, the more I study and the more I think about, as I wrote a letter to a young man that's being uh, licensed to preach in South Africa today, that Lord, we're called to testify of the gospel, the grace of God. And Lord, we are to be a testimony. And Lord, you've entrusted us with a ministry of that testimony of the grace of God. God, you've entrusted us with life. You've entrusted us with trials and troubles that through these trials and troubles, we can shine. And that we can be consistent. And that we can't be pitiful and panic like the world does when trouble comes. But God, we can trust you. And we can give you the credit and glory for getting us through the valley. And God, the world's full of sin. It's reeking with sin. And the United States of America has lost their blush and sin doesn't bother us anymore. And it's a dark, dark, anti-post-Christian era that we live in in America which I never thought we'd see. But Lord, you said in the last days it would be perilous times. And Lord, there's a lot of things going on that are very perilous. But as you admonish Timothy, we need to continue in the faith that our families have given us. And so Lord, in Jesus' name, help us to manifest Christmas. I want to challenge myself tonight with the challenge of Christmas is that your spirit would be carried to a lost and dying world, a dark and sinful world, and that we would bring Jesus to them through our testimony, through your word, and through our life, and through your love through us. And we'll praise you for helping us and enabling us bring Jesus to someone before it's too late.
with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to think about the message just for a second. Why Jesus came. John answered it five different times. What a lesson. What a beautiful story. And what a great uh, display of the deity of Christ. But then right in the middle of it he says, Hey, as he was in this earth, you need to be just like him. So your prayer tonight and my prayer tonight ought to be one thing. Ought to be like Jesus. Because the lost and skeptical world is looking for Jesus. If they're not looking for him, they need to see it. They need to see a change. Let me say, preacher, I got somebody on my heart. And I want to be a testimony. A testimony of the love of God to them. I want to be a testimony of the holiness of God. I know I won't be perfect, but by the grace of God, I want to live right. I want to do what you say in your word and I want to make some tough decisions, whatever it takes. I want to surrender my all more to God Almighty that they might see Jesus. And that's your prayer tonight. If you lift your hand up high for prayer all over this place. Amen. 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 There's a real purpose in Jesus coming. But there's a real purpose for you being alive and living in Dalton, Georgia this very evening. Father, thank you for speaking to my heart about why you came. But God, also thank you for speaking to my heart because I need to know why I'm here. And Lord, you answered that question. And so Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, help us to manifest your likeness, your love, your power to this lost and confused and mixed up sinful world. Lord, may we reach our friends. May we reach our workmates. God, may we reach our relatives. May we reach all those that we have in contact with that they might literally say, I felt like Jesus visited me. Lord, I pray during this holiday as we meet with many of our loved ones that are lost, that are carnal, and all they're looking forward to is some gift, some celebration of folklore. God help us, God help us bring Jesus to them. Whether they accept you or not, that'll be between them and God, but Lord help us to never be a stumbling block. Help us, God, to be a light, a Christmas light to them. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name.